Ismay Hadasha Mahan, born exactly seven pounds on July 15th at 8.33 p.m. And obviously, we could not be more thrilled for Austin, Kaylee, and now big sister, Aria. So if you guys are watching, congratulations. We rejoice with you. So, so excited. Mm, That's it. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. You can pass that to Alex. Thank you so much, Mikkel. One more announcement for us before we dive into God's Word. You can be turning to the book of Isaiah. That's where we'll be soon. But um, announcement for us is uh, in regards to, well, some changes taking place at Trinity. Uh, after much prayer, lots of discussion with the elders, um, God is bringing some changes to our body. And we know that with changes, right, comes challenges. So announcements like this can be tricky. We ended 2019, started 2020 by evaluating both mine and Alex's role and a few things. We began to make some adjustments, but uh, quite frankly, a lot of that never took place because of COVID. Um, A lot of things have been put on hold, of course. Um, Well, that led to further just evaluating our roles, evaluating the elders' roles, um, led to us evaluating the office Joyce's role, Trinity's future, and much more, some of which you'll hear more about, well, someday when COVID ends (laughs) and things are back to normal and everybody's in the building at the same time. Wouldn't that be novel? Um, Quite frankly, we've never walked through anything like this before, and so uh, don't know how to say this, but at this time, we've discontinued um, Joyce's staff position. Uh, Alex and I met with Joyce back in June, and she has been extremely gracious and helpful uh, towards us in this process. We love Joyce and Bob. We are grateful if they're watching. We love you. We are grateful. Um, Joyce has served this church in this role for nine years. Um, And you know, church, she has served more than any of us know. Uh, She has served in secret in ways that only she and the Lord himself knows. She comes on Sunday morning. She comes different than the rest of us, meaning she comes with a to-do list. She comes with tasks. She comes with responsibilities. She comes seeking to have many conversations that need to take place and make sure everything is Um, organized and rolling um, as it's supposed to be. She's always done more than her hourly wage paid her. Uh, I like to think that she's always been overqualified and underpaid. How's that for, you know, a duo? Overqualified, underpaid. That never seemed to bother Joyce. That's just the kind of people the DeWitts are. If you know the DeWitts, you know that to be true. As you know, Joyce has a gift from God, many gifts, but most pronounced is her administration of things. She handles details and requests and sometimes difficult demands from all of us. Um, She's been doing so, seeking to honor the Lord and build up his bride, the church. She has blurred the lines between work hours and volunteer hours at Trinity. And so Joyce... On behalf of all of us, we are very, very thankful for the years you have served here at Trinity. Um, Though we believe this is the right change for us as a body, we also know it's going to (laughs) hurt. And 
and it will leave a big hole um, in all that she covers and does. So this time, we're not looking to replace Joyce with a paid staff person. However, we do want to be training others, uh, men and women, who would be willing to serve the church in some capacity, taking on different aspects of her role. And Joyce has been graciously seeking to help us transition well. This last week was officially her last week in the office. And on behalf of the elders and on behalf of you, the church, we were able to give Joyce a severance uh, pay uh, for three months to help her with the transition. And really, just as an expression of nine years of, again, overqualified and underpaid, um, expression of our gratitude and care and love for her. Um, Please, don't let the distance... This is such a challenge, right? Don't let the distance that we're living in right now stop you from expressing your gratitude and love for how she has served this body. Um, So please let the the text, let the um, card writing, right? And the phone calling, let it be. And uh, please express your gratitude to Joyce. We are going to do things a little bit different this morning in that I'm not giving you a um, sermon prop or a big idea. I'm giving you a big idea. It's just not coming to you in a sentence and it won't show up on the screen. It's coming to you as an illustration because I think the illustration will carry a bigger punch than what we would normally present to you as a a big idea of the text. There's a big, bigger idea, an illustration idea of the text this morning. And so I'm going to share that with you, and then, and then we're going to read this, this, the text, because I think the text will pop more if you have some, some ideas behind it. This illustration comes um, uh, from Matt Ch- Chandler. I am stealing it from him. I simply can't improve upon it. He shares of a friend who got engaged, and so this young man um, picked up his uh, girlfriend in his in his everyday in his car. It's a, just a normal car. It's an everyday average car. He picked her up in his car, and um, she didn't know what the day's plan was going to look like. But he picked her up in the car and drove her to the lake. And the first surprise was that there was a there was a boat, a random boat, a ski boat was was docked, and so he parked the car and told her to get on this boat. And the keys were in it. And they spent some time on the lake, just splashing around, having a great time, laughing, all sorts of fun. He then parked the boat on a little island, kind of like what we would have out here. And so he parked it on the island, instructed her to get off, and they went for a little walk. And oh, surprise, they walked up on a picnic basket. And um, a picnic, a blanket, and um, some snacks, and some drinks. And so, yeah, this guy, this guy has got some game. It didn't end there. They enjoyed the picnic and then they got back on the boat, drove to the other side of the lake where his car was parked, but his car was no longer there. In its place was a limousine. All right, now, if you're a lady, right, at this point, you're not thinking necklace. You're not thinking bracelet. We're talking ring. And so they get in the limo and the limo driver drives them around and eventually they end up at a small airport like what we have behind here. Right, So they end up in a little local small airport and there's an airplane waiting for them. 
They're going to take a little airplane ride around the city. And so they're in the airplane. They're having a great time. And it lands on a grass field. Little grass airstrip. And when the plane comes to the end of its little runway, off to the side is an old jalopy truck. And you guessed it. There's keys in it. And they get in the old jalopy truck, beat, beat up, rusty thing, and they start to drive the truck. And he drives it to a chapel. He instructs her, we're going to go inside the chapel. Inside the chapel, rosebuds, candles. Yeah, what's up with this guy, right? Like making the rest of us look like idiots. So far, the only thing that my story resembles to this is I picked her up in my vehicle and drove to the lake. That's the only thing that resembles this. This guy's amazing and I hate him. And so, and so he, drives, um, he drives the jalopy to the chapel and inside rosebuds, candles, flowers um, in this nice little quaint chapel and a big, huge card with her name on it. And he instructs her, open up the card. And she begins to read, will you? And he's on his knee, marry me. And she says, yes. And they drive to a restaurant. And he begins to explain to her that each of the vehicles represents something of their coming relationship and the promises he will make to her in all these things that it represents. And so first of all, the car that he picked her up in, it's just the everyday normal car. This represents the normal relationship, the normal everyday relationship we will experience as a married couple. And here are the promises I'm making to you in normal everyday life. Wow. Uh, the what's next, the boat. The boat represents the seasons of our life where we will have fun and laughter. And here are the promises I'm making to you in the fun and the laughter. What's next? The limo. The limo represents actually pain and suffering when we will need a driver. How about this guy? Well, we will need a driver to drive us in the difficulties of our life. We will need others around us to help us. The airplane. The airplane represents the ascent that we as a couple are going to grow in our relationship with the Lord. How about that guy? The jalopy. The jalopy represents that season of life where we will grow old together. And in each of these, he's making promises to his to-be bride. That's pretty awesome. And as much as I don't like that guy, I need that guy. <laughs> like, I need that guy. I need some help. I need some game. Um, but consider what kind of expectations he's creating as well because <laughs> uh, this guy's going to fail this guy this guy's not been married for five minutes yet right imagine the expectations the with big promises come big expectations and I'm not saying don't make big promises for those of you who are single watching this by all means I'm just saying with big promises comes big expectations and with big expectations that go unmet comes big bitterness. And the reality, as I said, this guy hasn't been married for five minutes yet. He doesn't know the angry words. He doesn't know the impatience. He doesn't know throwing up children. 
He doesn't know pain and suffering. He doesn't know relational distance. He doesn't know the pressure of lacking the finances. He doesn't know the many, 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 many ways he will fail and she will fail, but he will fail to keep his promises. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. Praise be to God, my wife, who will be in the second service, didn't know what she was getting into. That's why you ladies say yes, you didn't know, right? She didn't know that in between our fourth and fifth year of marriage that there would be more in sickness than there would be in health for the next decade. Praise be to God, she said yes. Now here's the thing, here's the point, here's the prop, here's the idea When we read Isaiah 53, we are reading some of the most audacious, lavish promises of God made towards us, his people. Now, here's the thing about that. When God makes his lavish, audacious promises to us, he knows. He knows. He knows what he's getting into. He knows that he's making promises to people who will break their vows. He knows the failure that we will be in the relationship. He knows who he is marrying himself to. He knows who he is binding himself to. He makes the lavish, audacious promises and he knows he's creating expectations, but he knows their expectations. He will meet every one of them. Not a one of them will he fail in meeting these audacious, lavish promises that we read about here in regards to our redemption. People say, I don't like the church. The church has failed me. And God says, I know, (laughs) I know the church has failed him. His bride has failed him. His bride is the one who has not been faithful in the relationship. But he says, I make the promises anyway. Bold, lavish, audacious promises. I make them anyway. In spite of you, be my bride. You see, God's not ignorant of who we are and he makes that lavish vow anyway. Would you stand with me? Alex is gonna read for us our text this morning. We are in Isaiah 53, verses four through 13. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall hear their, or bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Praise be to God. Let's pray. God, how do we, how do we say thank you for these lavish, audacious promises? Lord, how do we say thankful, thank you though knowing we have been, we will be unfaithful? Lord, and you knew it. And you made the promises anyway. Lord, what mercy we read on these pages. What lavish, audacious grace promises made to us, your people. To you we say, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Lavish, audacious promises of God towards us, his unfaithful bride. Point number one, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to his own way. It's verse number six. Or to put it another way, God makes his lavish promise to Abraham. He was a pagan. Put it another way, God makes his lavish promises. He makes covenant promises to his Old Testament people. Wow, we could just go through the long list of men and women who failed him throughout the Old Testament. God makes these lavish promises, covenant promises to these people in the Old Testament. Put it another way, God makes these lavish covenant promises to his people in the New Testament. Some, well, all of them. He would make them his disciples, right? He makes his promises to, to individuals like Peter. Put it another way, God makes his lavish, audacious promises to you and I today who have been and will yet again be unfaithful. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We are that sheep. We, we wander from the fold. We wander from the care and the protection and even the promises of the great shepherd. That's, that's, that's our contribution to the relationship. What do we bring to the gospel? In my hands, what do we bring? You know, we, we like to sing that there's nothing. Actually, there's something. Here's what we bring. Here's our contribution to the gospel. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We bring our sin. And that is the grand response of all humanity throughout time. We wander. Let me ask you, how convinced are you of verse number six? Because unless we fully own up to verse number six, hear me, hear me if you're watching, the gospel means nothing outside of verse number six. Jesus becomes nothing. Or, or perhaps not nothing. Maybe, maybe he just becomes a little bit of a help. 
He becomes a good moral leader. He, he becomes one of the many other moral leaders who we have throughout time. He, he just becomes another one of those great guys. Unless we own um, verse number six, the cross becomes purposeless. What's the point of the cross if not for verse number six? Let's be morally honest for a moment. We are not essentially good. We're not essentially good with a few flaws here and there. Everybody makes a little bit of mistakes here and there. We are to the core, verse number six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We, we, we want to live autonomous. If God can, can maybe support me in my autonomy, then all the better. If, if I can be the center of my universe and God wants to kind of support me in that worship of myself, then all the better. We are not essentially good. We are sinners in need of a savior. And that's the context. Verse six is the context for all of God's audacious, lavish promises. The context for his promises isn't um, that you and I will, will stay in the fold and that we will um, be morally good. No, the context of his promises is we go astray. So hear that as we move forward in this sermon. Number two, God's lavish promise of healing. Verse, verse five, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. People have asked me over, over the years, do you believe that there's healing in the atonement? And I answer, yes, I do, but, but not like I think some people think. Actually, we sang about that this morning. Did you hear that in the lyrics? We sang, we sang this sermon this morning. I do believe there's healing in the atonement. Why? Because the Bible tells us there's healing in the atonement. Uh, Alex read from Psalms 103 that speaks of healing in the atonement. We could go to Peter. He talks about healing in the atonement. But I don't believe there's healing in the atonement like some charismatic circles teach. There are some who would teach that um, because of the blood of Christ, we are to claim our healing or even, even demand our healing from the Lord. Uh, is there healing in the atonement? Yes. At the cross of Christ, he reversed the curse of the garden and he did so in every way. In every way there is curse from Genesis 3, Christ reversed the curse. That's why there will be a day where we live in a new heaven and a new earth. Is healing in the atonement? Yes. Then why do we get sick? Let me ask it like this. Is forgiveness in the atonement? Yes, then why do we sin? In both of those, the answer is because we live in a fallen world. In both of those, the answer is the already and the not yet. Are you healed? Yes and not yet. And we await our ultimate final healing, if you will, where we will, there will be a day when we stand in the presence of God and there will be no sickness and there will be no sin. 
and there will be a far grander, audacious joy as we live out that promise for all of eternity. Number three, God's lavish promise to deal with our sin. There's a number of verses. We'll read those in a moment again. But how does God deal with verse number six? All we like sheep have gone astray. How does he deal with our sin problem? You see, if we are to understand the gospel, we must understand not only the love of God, we need to understand the justice and the wrath of God. Why God brings justice is because of his wrath. His right wrath for sin because God is holy. You see, if we are to understand the gospel, ours is a day that wants to pronounce and proclaim the love of God. And we want to join in that pronouncement. We want to proclaim the love of God, but not to an absence of the justified wrath of God. All right, so work with me here. The subtitle I forgot to mention of the sermon this morning is No Justice, No Peace. And as I mentioned last week, the peaceful protester has got it more right than they realize. That when you see those signs on the news and it says, no justice, no peace, I want your mind to go, that's gospel. Back in Isaiah chapter nine, remember when we preached that during Advent? That he's the everlasting father, prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. How will he bring us that peace? He brings us that peace through his justice. If there was no justice brought to the son of God, there would be no peace for you and I today. So the peaceful protester gets it more right than they realize. See, justice is the cry of humanity. It's not the cry of the animal kingdom. Did you know that? Of course you do. Why? We are made in the likeness of God. We are image bearers. We are uniquely different than the animal kingdom. I was hearing this week that the panda, the the mother panda, when she gives birth to twins, often keeps one and abandons the other. And the animal kingdom is an outrage. No. The animal kingdom says nothing. But humanity, we better cry justice. If a mother did that, We do cry justice. Why? Because we were hardwired for justice. Because we are image bearers. Because we are made in the likeness of God. Because we have all been created equal. And we have equal value and dignity before our maker. And we have that inherent dignity because God made us as image bearers of himself. And so justice is who God is. He is love, absolutely. He is justice, absolutely. He is justice and love. And we've preached this, I think this is the third time in this series, at least. We've preached this many times from this pulpit. And we will continue to preach. It's at the cross where justice, the justice of God and the love of God meet. It's right for us to see an injustice in our day and cry out, we want justice. When we do so, we are being image bearers, 
hardwired for that. We don't like it when someone gets away with murder. Are you grieved for the black community? I get it. Their history, their family history, is filled with unthinkable pain and suffering. Looks nothing like my family history. Now, of course, there are some who have hijacked the peaceful protest. There always will be people or groups looking to hijack and looking to steal away from the legitimate cry of others. Don't get sidetracked by the extremist. There's a legitimate cry from the black community for justice, and they should have that cry, and I will join with them. But the point this morning is we're hardwired for this justice. And the Christian is someone who has not received the justice of God that our straying, our sins deserve. That's what a Christian is. The Christian is someone who is trusted in Jesus, who took our place and received the justified justice of God on himself. That's why Christ is on the cross. You see, the wages of sin is death. Christ came to die our death, to die in our place. It's what we said last week, the big word, remember? Substitutionary atonement. Christ substituted himself. He took my place on the cross, your place on the cross. For all of us who have gone astray, each of us his own wicked way, Christ came to take our place on the cross to then receive the righteous, justified justice for our sin. Christ received the justice of God for our sin. Well, that's in the text. Look at verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Jump down verse six in the middle there, or verse six. And the Lord lay, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He put our sin on the Savior. Uh, the end there, verse eight, stricken for the transgressions of my people. The end there, verse 11, make many to be accounted righteous. He and he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, at the end, yet he bore the sin of many and makes transgressions for the tr- intercession for the transgressors. It's just saying over and over and over again, he bears, he bore our iniquities. He takes our sin on his shoulder and God, the father, the wages of sin is death. Who, whose will was it to crush him? Did you hear that when Alex was reading? The will of the Lord was to crush him. Here are the promises of God to sinners who stray. I will bear your iniquities. I will take your sins. I will take your place. I will die on the cross. I will give you life. 
I will receive the right justified punishment that your sins deserve. The innocent one, Jesus Christ, will become the guilty. The guilty will become the innocent. We'll speak to that in just a moment in the righteousness of Christ. How is it the Son of God, deity, will take on the sins of you and I? See, justice demands it. You're hardwired for this. And Christ receives the justified wrath of God that our sins deserve. Praise be to God for the justice of God. It's not, here again, we've preached this through Isaiah. It's not the president, any of the presidents, not trying to be political, all right? It's not any of the presidents who then say to someone, I pardon you. You can go free. That's not justice. Justice is Christ. God the Father says, I pardon you. But it's not that everyone goes free. No, Christ will pay the punishment for our sins you may go free. I will take, remember we said this months ago, I was saying to you, it's like our President Trump saying, I will serve your sentence. He leaves the White House, he goes to the prison, and he serves out the sentence. That would be amazing, but it doesn't begin to touch what Christ has done in the justice of of God. Number four, God's lavish promise of righteousness. Did you hear it? Verse number 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he, sh- uh, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Accounted righteous. Accounted righteous. This is, this is how do you get accounted righteous? Ah, I'm doing all these good things. Like I'm going to be a good Christian for the rest of my days. Are you serious? (laughs) Do we seriously think this is what we're going to offer to the Lord and he's going to account you righteous? Is any of us getting it done? Do we have any sort of grand illusions that any of us is able to get that done? Well, I go to church every time the doors are open. Seriously, that's what we're going to offer the Lord? In the midst of all of our sinfulness, our grumbling, our complaining, our whining, our lack of faith, our unbelief. You see, the righteousness of Christ, right? The justice of God is brought to his son. Full bore. That's why in Gethsemane, he's, he's sweating blood out of anguish. If this cup could be removed, but not my will, but yours be done. What cup? It's the cup of the justified wrath of God. He takes our sin. But that's not all. It's not that you and I are just some moral blank slate. He gives us his righteousness. You are accounted righteous, not because of anything you're doing, not because you gave in the offering or you came to church in the middle of COVID or you did this or that or the next thing, but because Christ perfectly fulfilled in every way the Father's will. 
perfect in his obedience. Never once did he have a sinful thought. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you love to go five minutes with that kind of righteousness? So in the middle of all of our sinfulness and we continue to go astray and we wander, we are accounted righteous. It's mind-blowing, audacious promises of God. You see, at the cross, the justice of God comes and he takes our sin and he is punished for our sin and the love of God comes as you are given his righteousness. You are no longer, you're not in Tim, you're not in Jeff, you're not in Chong-O, you are in Christ. His righteousness becomes yours. Do we, do we fully grasp the glory of verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray? You are accounted righteous. In your faith in Christ, you are accounted righteous as if, you will be viewed on that day through the eyes of Christ, through God the Father will see you, view you in Christ as if you yourself had never sinned. It's audacious. And he knew exactly who we would be. He knew exactly who he was linking himself up to. He knew exactly when he put the ring on your finger and he made a covenant to Abraham. He knew exactly who we would be. He made those big expectations, those big promises. Wow, why do we worship him? Here's why we worship him. Because of the justice and love of, of God meet at the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. Says it best. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin. He made him to be sin. The son of God was made to be sin. The innocent one was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That is glorious. The English language doesn't have enough ways to say praise him for what that is. Again, it's not just a blank slate. He didn't just take our sins. We just got an empty, empty chalkboard. He didn't just take it away. You're washed, you're clean. He gave you every bit of his righteousness. How great is the love of God? He sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. He did not go astray like the rest of us. He did not rebel against God the Father. And yet he took the punishment my sins deserved. And when we trust in him, he gives us his righteousness. It's accounted to you. And so God the Father now sees you through the, through the grid of his son, in his perfect righteousness. So you are, if you are a believer, you are the righteousness of Christ. He takes my sin, this is justice, by bringing justice to the Son. He gives me his righteousness, this is love, and it meets at the cross. Number five, God lavish, his lavish promises to bear and to carry. Verse four, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Christ doesn't eliminate sorrows and griefs. We still live in a fallen world. But as a believer in Christ, you can know that he bears it and he carries it. If there's any grief and sorrow going on for you today, this year, this life, look to Christ. Let's stand together and let's respond in singing.